strange stories of peculiar people and extraordinary events throughout history. This is Notorious Narratives. I won't look at you, I swear. <laughs> Hi, and welcome to Notorious Narratives. I'm Robin. I'm Jen. And today we are going to talk about the Dust Bowl. Well, okay. You say Dust Bowl, I think Grapes of Wrath. Am I right? It was the inspiration. For okay. The of Wrath. All right. Yeah. I was like, you say Dust Bowl, I think Grapes of Wrath. I think, then I think about wine country. And I think about the vineyards in California and how people travel to try to find work. And, but that's from the Great Sarath movie, I think. Which, yeah, and the Dust Bowl was inspiration. Yeah. Okay, Hang let's up. go. Let's do it. Okay, so the Dust Bowl, also known as Dirty Thirties. <laughs> the story of my fucking life. <laughs> was a period of severe dust storms that greatly damaged the ecology and agriculture of the American and Canadian prairies during the 1930s. Severe drought and a failure to apply dryland farming methods to prevent wind erosion caused the phenomenon. What's dryland farming? Uh, dryland farming, it wheat. Is it like it's a plow? It's just like you have a land, you remove the grass. This is like what is, you think of like soil based. So when you think of like a farm, and you think of like dirt with like shit growing out of it, that's mm-hmm. dryland farming, yeah. Yeah. as opposed to what like tomatoes. Maybe. Where it's a greenery. Well, the thing is, everything needs water. So I remember, I think I remember something from, like, elementary school about crop (laughs) rotation. Like, if you don't rotate the crops, it, like, uses all the nutrients out of the soil, and the soil becomes very dry, and then nothing can really grow there, and then the wind just, like, sweeps it away. I could be totally wrong. (laughs) I also think that their dryland farming methods (laughs) also corresponds with if there is a drought, there's nothing to save it. I mean, leave it to you, you the need, girl from like, Tennessee, like too. Like, you need a backup plan. Yeah. And leave I don't it. think they had any backup plans. Leave it to me to talk about crop rotation. I'm from the city. You are very much I from the city. I may or may not have one plant. And I killed it. <laughs> so, there it, it is. It died a terrible death, piece by piece. Every day was an adventure. It was like each limb had a gangrene. Slow, slow amputation. I wake up and it's on the floor. I'm like, really? As high winds and choking dust swept the region from Texas to Nebraska, people and livestock were killed and crops failed across the entire region. The Dust Bowl intensified the crushing economic impacts of the Great Depression and drove many farming families on a desperate migration in search for work and better living conditions. The factors that pretty much caused the Dust Bowl included federal land policies, changes in the regional weather, farm economics, and other cultural factors. After the Civil War, a series of federal land acts coaxed pioneers westward by praising farming in the Great Plains. So the Homestead Act of 1862, which provided settlers with 160 acres of public land, was followed up by the Kincaid Act of 1904 and the Enlarged Homestead Act of 1909. These acts led to the massive influx of new and inexperienced farmers across the land. Okay, so this is like the people leaving... From, like, the cities along the East Coast. Now they're like, hey, if you show up, you get your 160 acres and a mule. Right? Yep, yep. It was 160 and acres and a mule? I, nothing about a mule, but yes, it was 160 acres. I think there might have been a mule involved. Or maybe I made that up. Attach a, a plow to the mule and have a I'm creative. Okay. So people are leaving. They're going to go there. But they're inexperienced. I have no idea what they're right. so they many, no clue what's happening. Absolutely no idea. Many of these late 19th and early 20th century settlers lived by the superstition that Rain follows the plow. Immigrants, land speculators, politicians, and even scientists thought that the homesteading and the agriculture would sort of permanently affect the climate of parts of the Great Plain, which will make it more conductive to farming. 
It makes no fucking sense. This false belief yeah. was linked to the manifest destiny, the attitude that Americans had a sacred duty to expand to the West. Westward ho. A series of wet years during the period also created further misunderstanding of the region's ecology. Oh, uh, so just during that time, there just happened to be more rain than mm-hmm. usual. So people got a false sense of so they're like, what keep the, going, let's keep doing this, and what the weather was like. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So wheat prices went up in the 1910s and the 1920s and increased the demand for wheat from Europe during World War I, so it encouraged farmers to plow up to millions of acres of native grassland to plant wheat. Then the Great Depression happened, and the prices of wheat plummeted. Farmers tore up even more grassland in an attempt to harvest some sort of bumper crop just to break even. So they're like, oh, we'll we'll grow this small patch of squash. To try to make a little extra money. Mm-hmm. Every time they, like, eat up more and more of this, like, grassland, they further destroy the more ability. Grassland. Yep. They're fucking up the ground. So crabs began to fail with the drought in 1931, which exposed the overplowed farmland. Without the deep-rooted grasses to hold the soil in place, it began to blow away. Eroding soil led to massive dust storms and economic devastation. Hi, everybody. I'm Katie Segal. And I'm Kurt Sutter. And welcome to our new podcast called Pi, People, Influences, and Experiences. Yes, it's sort of the uh, get to know you at a deeper level, the who, what, when, where, and why you are rather than what it is you do. Absolutely. We're not going to talk too much about what people do. We just want to know about their families, where they come from, you know, what shapes their parenting if they have kids, what shapes their marriages if they're married. We just want to be really nosy. We want to get in there. A deep dive into nature and nurture. And we started it because there are a lot of people that we don't know that we are curious about. And I have no friends, so for me, it's, you know. Trying to get them out of the house. Listen to it on whatever you listen to. (laughs) Podcasts on yeah, podcast your, 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 your podcasting apparatus. Watch it on the YouTube. He's aging himself. So there was this PBS documentary, right? And this guy, his name was Ken Burns. He did a whole thing about the Dust Bowl. And people were able to go onto the website and share their stories. And it's not... It's not a type of commentary where it's like, oh, this is a great story. Oh, wow, that's very interesting. These are actual people going in and saying their personal experiences or stories that were passed down from family about their experience. That's really cool. Ken Burns does a bitchin' documentary, Baseline. He's always really thorough. Okay, so so one of the stories is called um, Stranded in a Dust Storm. I am Jack, the baby, seven months old, mentioned in my mother's memoir account of a March 1935 duster in north central Kansas. She wrote, the dust storm enveloped us. Your dad drove with his store open so he can see the ditch on his side, and I did the same on mine. The car headlights wouldn't penetrate. The car's electrical system shorted and the engine died. You boys were asleep in the back seat. I covered your faces with Jack's wet diapers so they couldn't breathe too much of the dust. It seemed that... We waited for hours and hours. Finally, your dad decided to try find help. He crawled along the barbed wire fence on the right side of the road, feeling for a break in the fence that would indicate a road into the house. He went quite a distance with no luck, so he crawled across the road and started back towards us. Eventually, he did find a break in the fence and a path to a home. The husband and a grown son got ropes to tie them and your dad together. They finally got back to the car. 
Finally, in the house, we sat and dozed in chairs until daylight. The storm had subsided. And that was written by Jack Abercrombie. That's like terrifying. Can you imagine just being like, because you don't know if another car is going to come. Your children are He's asleep in the holding onto a barbed wire fence. His hands are probably all broken up. Yeah. And the mother's covering faces with wet diapers. Wet, wet diapers yeah. It's just it, it, the human tragedy <laughs> of this, these kinds of storms is so horrifying. And just to know that it, it's like that because of their farming. Mm-hmm. Because they were tearing up every tree and every bit of grass. So there was nothing to hold the soil. Yep. Ugh. So another one of those personal stories from the PBS website. This one is called Shooting the Cows. That does not sound good. <laughs> I don't. I already don't like that. So my mother-in-law was a young girl during the Dust Bowl era. She lived on a farm outside, just outside of te- uh, Dallas, Texas. While not really part of the Dust Bowl, their farm was also affected. She told the story of how one day in the mid-1930s, the government men came with a bulldozer and dug a huge pit on their farm, drove their 128 heads of cattle into the pit, and shot them. She said afterward her daddy's hand shook for three days. They were compensated $18 per head, and about a week later, her father brought a used model A Ford, loaded the family into the car, and they went for a two-month vacation visiting relatives in Scotts County, Kentucky. The next spring, her father purchased new cattle and continued to farm until 1949 when he sold the farm to developers. The pit where the cattle were shot is now under the Keaton Park Public Golf Course in Dallas, Texas. So since his dust bowl was called the Dirty 30s, uh, it's pretty clear that this all happened in the 30s. The dust storms began in 1930 and ended in around 1939. An entire fucking decade of dust storms. So (laughs) this is like Wizard of Oz. Like repeated. Yes. No, it's, it's I think, the Groundhog Day of Wizard of Oz. Every day is the same thing. Dust no, storm, I dust think, storm, dust storm. I think he wrote it about this. The original 1939 Wizard of Oz movie and for L. Frank Baum's original novel. I believe that. Kansas is one of the states. It's a twister, a twister. Because get your crops together, lady. I know. No, it was a drought. It was out of control. Well, yes. I mean, <clears> yeah. But there are a lot of pieces, right? A lot so of pieces. If the drought was bad, the drought would have sucked regardless. The dust wouldn't have been as bad if they didn't rip up all the grass mm-hmm. to try to and then, grow more crops. And then you pull in the Great Depression, then you pull in prices, and you pull in right. all this stuff. Everything's like a, a marionette. Like, you know, without all the strings moving, it wouldn't have gone anywhere. Yep. So in 1934, an estimated 35 million acres of formerly cultivated land had been rendered useless for farming, Ugh. while another 125 million acres was losing its topsoil. During the Dust Bowl period, severe dust storms, often called... The black blizzards swept the Great Plains. Some of these carried the Great Plains topsoil as far east as Washington, D.C. and New York City and covered ships in the Atlantic Ocean with dust. Holy shit. Billowing winds of dust would darken the sky, sometimes for days at a time. In many places, the dust drifted like snow and residents had to clear it with shovels. Dust worked its way through the cracks of even well-sealed homes, leaving a coating of food, skin, and furniture. Ugh. Some it's just people, like impo- you just think about like how impossible it is to just keep things clean. Imagine Ugh. the dust drifts so much that it's six feet of it is outside your door. You have to shovel it away. It's kind of like when it snows here and it just drives you crazy because there's just fucking snow everywhere. Another thing is that you can't see anything in front of you either. It's just it's constant fog. It's like a whiteout, mm-hmm. but a brownout, blackout, brownout. 
Well, no. If you're interested, there are some photographs taken there. I mean, a lot of them are black and white, but you can't see anything. That's why they call it the Black Blizzard. It's nighttime. Like, it's just, it's pretty bad. Is it like with the volcanoes and the ash? Pretty much. Yeah. I would say it's close to the same image. So some people developed dust pneumonia and experienced chest pain and difficulty breathing. Of course. It's unclear exactly how many people may have died from the condition, but estimates range from hundreds to several thousands of people. Yeah, I mean, like, people didn't have respirators. It's not like fucking Zach Bagans who can't go in a basement. (laughs) Yeah. It's true. If you get it, you get it. Yeah, I That's it. all I can say. So on May 11th, 1934, a massive dust storm two miles high traveled 2,000 miles to the East Coast, blotting out monuments such as the Statue of Liberty and the U.S. Capitol. The worst dust storm— Is it like a giant dirt— Like, like a, Imagine, you know the movie Mummy, when it rolls? Yes. It's like that. It comes Whoa. There's actually pictures of that as well. And it's just, it's a giant cloud of dust low to the ground and just moving at a fast pace. So uh, the worst dust storm occurred on April 14th, 1935. News reports called the event Black Sunday. A wall of blowing sand and dust started in the Oklahoma panhandle and spread east. As many as 3 million tons of topsoil are estimated to have blown off the Great Plains during Black. So roughly 2.5 million people left the Dust Bowl states, which included Texas, New Mexico, Colorado, Nebraska, Kansas, and Oklahoma. It was the largest migration in American history. Oklahoma alone lost about 440,000 people to migration. Many of them were poverty-stricken and traveled west looking for work. From 1935 to 1940, roughly 250,000 Oklahoma people moved to California. Yeah, because I mean that's where the work was, right? Mm-hmm. It's where the where there was ground that was. You would hope. No, I know that it didn't go great. Because <laughs> a third settled in the state's agricultural section, which was the San Joaquin Valley. San Joaquin Valley. Makes it say Joaquin, right? So these Dust Bowl refugees were called Okies. The Okies faced dis- uh, discrimination, menial labor, pitiable wages, and they were pretty much an outcast in California. Many of them lived in shanty towns and tents along the irrigation ditches. The term Okie soon became a term of disdain used to refer to any poor dust bowl migrant, regardless of their state of origin. So another one of the stories from the PBS website. Uh, this one is called No Shoes Required. It starts, my father, Phil Curran, uh, recounts a story from his boyhood in Pomona, California. Pomona. Pomona. In Pomona, California in 1930s. He remembers when the Okies arrived and began living outside the city limits in the shantytowns. They had come to help pick oranges in the massive groves around his house. Local women, including his mom, went out daily to offer assistance to the mothers and children and families. One of the ways they helped was with registering the Oki children for school. When Oki children began attending my dad's elementary school, many of them did not wear shoes. All of the local children made fun of them because of this, and this caused a lot of problems. So his elementary school principal wisely passed a rule that for the rest of the school year, no one was required to wear shoes to school. My dad loved this accommodation. He recalled with fond memories not having to wear shoes to school, either to or from, and he said that he... He said the special no-shoes-required rule helped make the Oki children heroes in the eyes of local children, and he and the other kids accepted them better. 
That's that was written from Daniel Karan. Oh, that's, that's adorable. I mean, that's just like such a cool way to like welcome them those, and just and you know stop bullying people because they just have to less make than those you, you know? who are different feel the same. Oh, so like sweet. put everyone on like, I mean, no pun intended, but equal footing. You know. Just, I love that story. Yeah, me too. Oh, That's a great comment. story. And what's what I love most about it is that it's from someone's experience, you know, and it's just it's a true story about these Oki children who were outcasts, and for what? Because they needed to move from their home that was destroyed, and now they're being treated like pieces of shit. And these people, this principal, passionate like, man, who's like these kids, these kids are our future, suffering. Yeah, and, and we have, have to do something about it. They've done nothing wrong. That's such so a beautiful, sweet. I love it. Beautiful uh, sentiment and thing to do to help help those kids. Because that can't have been easy to no. have to just like leave your only home and get in a car or like in the back of someone's truck and just go until your parents could find work. And Being really not have anything, anything with you either because everything that you had was destroyed. Yeah. Dirty, hungry. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. I do like that. That documentary, that website gives people a place to put their stories. There are hundreds of them. So That's if you're really... interested in finding out some more, then go ahead and check that out. But there are, so, there are some ones that are pretty um, heart-wrenching. Pretty heart-wrenching, just like this one. I mean, I thought that the No Shoes Required was was, was per, like a, a pretty good example of what was going on behind the scenes and what we don't really want to hear. But I think that it's important to hear. I don't know. I think that's uh... – that's a story that I want to hear. Yeah, though. but some people don't. She, people she just... told me this before we recorded, and I immediately started crying. <laughs> I, I kind of couldn't stop for a minute. Since the Dust Bowl basically forced families to leave their homes due to loss of crops, can't afford the mortgage, sicknesses, anything like that. Yeah, I mean, what are you going to do? You don't have any money. You're going to stay there. You can't work your own land. You mm -hmm. have zero money to take care of your family. You don't have food to feed them. And people are getting sick left and right, coughing up blood, I'm sure, Sorry. as they're breathing in dirt that is living inside of their lungs. It is time to get out. But yeah, I can imagine, like, anytime you have, like, a huge migration of a population from out of an area into an area, the amount of just outright discrimination yeah. that happens, is it's, it's pathetic because these people are leaving because they have nowhere else to go. Yeah, they're living in tents kind of along, along di in ditches, basically. So anyway, so um, apparently the losses in dollar value— Reached to about 25 million uh, U.S. dollars per day lines. in 1936, which is equivalent to about oh, 440 million dollars yeah, okay, so back in 2017. Yeah, that's it's really a lot because that's dust bowl, right? Of money, yeah. that's like mega million style money. Yeah. John Steinbeck he kind of put this flight of the Okies right, in yeah. his novel. We're just adding on, to the and end, as I mentioned before, you can see a lot of photographs in. and paintings and everything that show the terror. That is the dust storms with these six-foot drifts outside of homes, the interiors of their homes, ankle-deep of dust, their, all their food inside. They're like, just – it's awful. So What we're saying is you should Google it and look at these pictures because they're damn terrifying. Absolutely. So, I mean, there, ha there have been some things now to prevent this kind of thing from happening. And when Roosevelt was elected, 
It was just basically in the middle of this fucked up situation that was going on. So President Roosevelt ordered the Civilian Conservation Corps. Was that part of the New Deal? Yeah. And the New Deal that he wanted to do was that he wanted to plant a huge belt of more than 200 million trees from Canada all the way to the northern tip of Texas. Mm -hmm. And this would break the wind, hold water in the soil, and hold the soil in its place as as well. The administration also began to educate farmers on soil conservation, anti-erosion techniques, including crop rotation, which you've mentioned, strip farming, contour plowing, and other improved uh, farming practices. There's a lot more I'm not going to get into. It's pretty boring. Oh, I mean, we only, but he, need, uh, we only need to learn so much about farming. <laughs> I know, exactly. Dust so, Bowl sucked real bad. So in, um, in September of 1933, during the middle of, or actually the beginning of all this chaos, over 6 million young pigs were slaughtered to stabilize pricing, which uh, because meat was going to waste, Public outcry led to creation in October of the Federal Surplus Relief Corporation. The FSRC diverted agricultural commodities to relief organizations. Apples, beans, canned beef, flour, and pork products were distributed through the local relief channels. Cotton goods were also eventually included to clothe the needy as well. So was this like the first, um, you know, like um, government assistance? I want to say they made a really big part. They did more about the Dust Bowl than I think the Great Depression. While we came out of the Great Depression, that was financial. But, like, when you— This is, This is an ecological disaster. mm -hmm. So this takes a lot more hard work, time, energy, and intelligence. A lot of money, too. To fix. It's a terrible, terrible time on the prairie. Such a sad time for everybody. But we got out of it. Got out of it and we flourished. So that is the story of the Dust Bowl, just another notorious narrative. Have a show idea? Send it on over to us along with any questions, comments, or corrections to NotoriousNarratives at gmail.com. You can follow us on our Instagram at NotoriousNarratives and Twitter at NotoriousTales. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Every review helps other listeners to find us. Thanks so much.